You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today, uh, as we dive into God's Word together, we're continuing our series, Worth Fighting For, and uh, I I really am looking forward to next week. You don't want to miss it because I I believe God's given me a word for uh, just our church and and where we're going as a church in regards to this. But today, I want to uh, continue our theme. We've actually been in the book of Nehemiah the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to start in chapter four. And I'm, uh, if you'll bear with me for just a minute, I like not to read too much in the very beginning, but I'm going to read a, a significant portion of this chapter just to kind of set the context, set the tone. And uh, this is this is a kind of, I think, the, the, the tipping point in the book of Nehemiah, because it's here, just to remind you of, if you weren't here last week, Nehemiah is uh, the cupbearer to the king of Persia. And uh, he comes into his role and job at a season where his people, the Jews, the Israelites, are far away, taken captive away from their homeland. And now in the last 20 years, they've begun to return. They've begun to have revival. They've begun to come back to repossess the promises and the, the territory that God had always intended to give them, uh, that they had lost to their own sin and compromise, and idolatry and all those things, that God was calling them back and God always calls us back. God always calls us to himself. He calls us to his purpose. He calls us to restoration and uh, redemption. God is in the business of restoring lives. And, and, and so Nehemiah is, is, comes into the story in a season where the, the rebuilding has slowed to a crawl. And the reason for that is the city of Jerusalem, the heart of Israel, the city of Jerusalem is, has been under uh, really just danger and threat of violence because the walls of the city that provided security were not rebuilt. There were gaps in the wall. And it's hard to it's hard to think about uh, vision. It's hard to think about we we talked about last week where vision where there's no vision, people perish, and it's hard to to dream when you're just trying to survive. It's, it's hard to move forward when you're, you feel like you're, you keep getting pulled back. Uh, you, 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 it's hard to, to, to think about what's possible when you're just trying to get out from under the weight of, of fear and shame and, and regret and discouragement and all kinds of problems. And that's where Israel is. They're, they're, they're in potential of revival, but because the city is under potential threat as well, they're not experiencing the fullness of what God has for them. And no, so Nehemiah takes hold of this and he finds something worth fighting and living for. And he's willing to leave its comfort zone, leave the position and, and, and the palace of the king of Persia to go back to his homeland to rebuild the walls. And here's what it says, Nehemiah chapter four, verse one, as the work begins that uh, it so happened that when Sanballat, who's one of the neighboring leaders, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant. And he mocked the Jews and he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So they're mocking them, they're cursing them, they're speaking bad about them. Uh, and and so, so we built the wall. 
And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Uh, and so verse seven, now it happened when Sambla, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, Ashdodites, all the ites, all, all of those neighboring tribes and people heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed. They didn't celebrate it. They didn't send a welcoming party. They were very angry. Some, not everything and everyone is gonna be happy about you moving forward. You, you start growing, you start stepping forward into the purpose of God and watch all hell try to, try to throw its very best to, to discourage you, to get you to quit, to, give you, to cause you to give up. Uh, but all of them conspired together even to come and attack Jerusalem to create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God because of them. We set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. Judah's the praise team. Judah's, Judah's the, the people who show up to church excited uh, and they're discouraged. You know what's bad when the praise team's depressed. Uh, and so, so they're saying the strength of labors is failing. There's so much rubbish. There's so much trash. There's so much. You ever feel like that? There's so much that needs to change. There's so much that needs to change in my life. There's so much that needs to change in my family. There's so much that needs to change in the world around us. There's so much and it can be overwhelming when you're looking at the rubbish and they become discouraged. So they say, we're not able to rebuild the wall. But, and then not only did they, Judah say that, but our adversary said, verse 11, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst, kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwell near them came, they told us from whatever place you turn, they will be on us. Therefore I positioned, watch what Nehemiah does in response to the threat of the enemy. He says, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And I said, people according to their families with their swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked and I arose, said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. So this is, I, I like to call this the Braveheart speech of Nehemiah. You know, this is like, he's got the blue face paint. He's riding on the horse back and forth. My wife and I have a debate. I've told this before, but we have a debate in, uh, when, 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 uh, in Braveheart. Anybody like Braveheart? Uh, I like war movies. My wife will make me watch Hallmark movies. I make her watch war movies. And I love in the Braveheart speech, you know, he, he's rallying the troops and he says, you know, they can take, our, and here's what he says, they can take our wives, but they'll never take our freedom. Jenna says, no, they, well, they'll take our lives. So we go back and forth and, uh, and uh, but either way, he rallies the troops and watch what Nehemiah says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your households. I'm going to talk next week about how to do that. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. I love this story, and there's more you can read on your own, but, but as he begins to go, it, it says that uh, there were gaps in the wall. And, and the, the wall was only as strong as it was whole. It, it was only as effective as it was completed. And because of disrepair and honestly, because of prior conflict, areas and sections of the wall that had once provided security and safety were now pulled down, destroyed. And over time, what Judah's describing is that rubbish, the, they, they didn't have a trash company to come and take their garbage. They would dump it along the sides over the wall, what was left of the wall until the old stones and bricks and elements of, of that great wall were now covered with waste and garbage. And so to rebuild that wall, they would have to dig through the stuff. They would have to dig through. And, and listen, people are messy. 
Lives are messy. There's gonna be some digging. There's gonna be some stuff we've gotta dig through to see what's of value, to see what's of purpose, to see what God wants us to see as his people. Even in our own family, sometimes we look at things, we go, it's a mess, there's too much. But God wants us to see what's of tremendous worth and value that he's placed inside of every single person. And, and so Judah's getting discouraged. You see the enemy repeatedly threat and, and threaten violence and to bring, plot to bring confusion. And yet Nehemiah does something. He positions his people. It goes on to say that he would, he would split them up. He would have part of the group stay up all night and watch for the enemy. And he'd have the other part building. And then even within those that were building, he would, he would give them and equip them with two things. He said, I want you to have the tools to build and I want you to have a sword to fight. And he positioned them by their families where there were gaps in the wall. And so every family, every individual and every family was given a assignment. They were called to rebuild a section of that great wall. And for the city to be safe and for them to have success, the entire wall had to be rebuilt. And so you could have 99% of the families of Judah and the people of God rebuild their portions of the wall. But if one family neglected to do the thing that the, that the whole community was called to, there would be a gap. And it's at the gaps that we're most vulnerable. It's at the gaps where, where fear has its access to our lives. It's at the gaps where, where we become, we, we let our guard down. It's at the gaps where we settle. It's at the gaps where we no longer have standards, where we no longer have boundaries. It's at the gaps where we become exposed to the actions of the enemy. And there is a spiritual battle that all of us, whether you realize it or not, I've said it before, the Christian life is not a cruise ship, it's a battleship. Because we've been sent into our promised land, but there's giants there. And we're called to see lives transformed. We're called to see our cities set free. We're called to see people who are broken become whole. And it starts with us. And Israel begins rebuilding this, this wall. But there's gaps. Each one of them had a gap to fill. If I don't do my part in filling the gaps, the wall won't be completed. The wall is only as effective as the gaps are closed. And so they set a watch day and night. And I wonder how many areas we, we're guarded and we're watchful in the day, but not at night. We're, we're, we're careful about what we allow to affect us in one season, in one moment, but we let our guard down in other seasons. And we allow access to discouragement, confusion, compromise, all these things that are ruling and reigning in our heart instead of the peace and presence of God. And so there is a fight there's a fight, and the fight is in the gaps. I've got three points for you today. Number one is that. The fight is in the gap. God's called you and I. He's called us as the church to step into the gap. And I think we need to go with what Nehemiah said. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of doing what you're created for. Don't be afraid of saying yes to God. Don't be afraid of trusting and obeying and, and stepping into your purpose. Don't be afraid, but remember something. It's not enough to just forget fear because the more I try not to think of problems, the more I'm going to think about them. The more I try not to worry, the more I'm going to be thinking about what I'm worried about. Instead, he says, here's what you should do. Don't, don't, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't react to what the enemy's doing outside. In fact, I told you this last week, Nehemiah is a, is a threat of fear, a threat of violence without an actual battle. 
Most of what we fear never happens. Most of what we, we tell ourselves never takes place. And so he says, remember the Lord. He's great and he's awesome. That's why worship is so important. That's why prayer is so important. That's why God's word, I'll talk about that more in a second, because these things establish in our heart a place and a focus where we remember the Lord. Maybe today, whatever you're facing, you've got to remember the Lord. He's greater than your pain. He's greater than the problem in front of you. He's great and he's awesome. He says, remember the Lord. Oh, then there's one more piece. He says, fight. Well, I thought all I needed to do was just remember. No, no, it's not enough to just remember. You've got to get in the gap. You've got to get in the space. And, and, and maybe it's us as a church finding the gaps and stepping in. Maybe you as an individual, there's areas of your own heart, your own life that the enemy has had unrestricted, unfiltered access through fear, discouragement, uh, temptation, all of these things. And it's time to step into the gap and it's time to fight. Because what God wants to do in your family has to start with you. What God wants to do in our nation and in the world around us, in our city, it's easy to point a finger at the enemy and the people and all these things around us and those we don't agree with and those that, that no, 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 listen. What, what Jesus, or God's word says this, judgment begins with the house of God. In other words, God starts, God, if, if God wants to change anything, he starts with us. I pray for other people to change, and God goes, okay, we'll start with you. I, I, I don't know if you're like me, you don't like that part of it. But, but here's what I found. If, if, God, if I can allow God to change something in me, then God can change something through me. If I can allow God to fill the gaps of my own life, I can then begin to help others fill the gaps in their life. And so we need to fight in the gaps. We need to see those areas with one. So, so he, he set the people, he positioned the people and he placed them with their area of responsibility. Some of us are too preoccupied. If I can be a, 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 a get in somebody's business today, just a little bit at the nine o'clock service. I'm sorry. Uh, but, but sometimes we're so preoccupied with the gap in somebody else's wall, we're missing ours. Do you know the, the greatest singers are not the ones that can hit the highest notes, it's the ones that know their range. They know what's in front of them. They know what God's given them. They know what God's placed in their life. They know what their capacity is. They know what God's called them to do. And they're not worried about everybody else's wall. They're not worried about trying to be better than anybody else. They're not worried about trying to be uh, greater than anyone else. But they say, God has placed a gap in front of me that I am called. In fact, nobody else can fill that gap in me. They were given two things. They were given something to build with. They were given tools and they were given a sword. Number two is God equips you to this fight. God equips you for the fight you're in. He equips you for your purpose. He equips you to grow. He equips you to see your family free. He equips you in whatever area that God has called you and I to fill the gap. He equips us for this fight. Uh, there's really a sad story in the Bible. I think it's sad because uh, it, it, it shows what happens when only some people are equipped. And it's a story uh, of an earlier generation, 1 Samuel 13. It, 
Israel is about to go to war with the Philistines and uh, Philistine, their culture was, they were iron, they were part of an early iron age culture that would, uh, they had greater technology uh, to use iron, to shape iron, to make tools and weapons. And, and so the Israelites, uh, they, they, they couldn't make their own iron weapons. And so they would go to the Philistines to be equipped. They would go to the, the, uh, the, the Gentile uh, foreign nation, the Philistines, to get their tools sharpened and get their weapons they need for warfare. That's all well and good until you fight with the guys that you need. Until you go to war with the Philistines and they're the only ones that can give you what you're looking for. And so the Philistines, here's what it says uh, in chapter uh, 13, verse 19. There was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, let us the Hebrews make swords and spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, his sickle. See, there's something that happens when the church depends more on the world and the ways the world operates than on God. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose in the world, which we've all experienced in the last few years. And then we wonder, why, is my, why are my relationships falling apart? Why is my, why is my character eroded? Why, is, why don't I have the confidence I thought I should have? Why aren't these things? Because sometimes we're looking in the wrong place to equip us. And, and so the well dries, the Philistines shut off the supply. And here's what happens. Jump down to verse, verse 22. So it came about on the day of battle, that there was no sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul, he's the king, and Jonathan, he's the prince, he's his son. But they were found with Saul and Jonathan. Here's why I think this is tragic. The only ones who were equipped in that army were the two leaders. And you know, as the church, it's not just pastors that are equipped and it's not just missionaries and Sunday school teachers that are meant to be equipped. God wants to equip every single one of us with the tools and the spiritual weapons we need to see his purpose fulfilled in our life. God will equip you for the fight you're in. And I could spend a lot of time talking about the weapons of our warfare. Second Corinthians 10 says, Paul says this, the apostle Paul writes, he says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, earthly, natural weapons, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Can you hand me that paper on that front seat? Uh, for the pulling down of strongholds that, that he has given us, they're, 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 God has equipped you with the very things you and I need to be able to win and overcome the very things we're facing today. That's important. Because the enemy sends those threats and makes you feel like you don't have enough, you can't, you're not able. And, and, and listen, if we're preoccupied with the threat of the enemy, we won't see the tools that God's already made available. They needed to fight and they needed to build. Now, now we can focus on one of those to the neglect of the other. Some of us are all about fighting the enemy. And we're rebuking every devil we can think of, but we've never built anything. And some of us are preoccupied with what's in front of us, but we don't know how to defend it and fight for it. And God's given us spiritual weaponry that's effective for what God wants to do in and through our lives. And so here's just a couple. I want to give you two very important ones today. And these are things I talked about recently in our last series about growth keys. And two of them I want to highlight. The first one is God's word. God's word is my weapon. God's word is your weapon. Uh, That I I think if the enemy can get the church to be defeated, he's going to do that from keeping us divided from the word. 
If he can overcome us, he's going to do it by, by trying to separate us from the truth of the word. Because when we don't have the truth of the word equipping our lives, we're going to be preoccupied with the lies. And I'm only as free as the lies I believe or the truth I believe. I'm, 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 as, I'm as bound as the lies I tolerate and accept in my life. And I'm as free as the truth that I receive and put to practice in my life. And so as a believer in Jesus, you've been given access to the word of God. You've been given access not to just read information. Some of us are, if we're honest, we're intimidated by the Bible. And, 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 and there's practical reasons for that. But I just want to highlight something. When you have a relationship with the author, you don't have to be intimidated by God's word. Because he will give you the keys to walk it out. He will give you the help to understand it, to know it, and then apply it. God's word is your weapon. Some of us don't think of the Bible like that. We, we have God's word as our devotional, our thing that we check off for the day. Do you know how Jesus beat up the devil? I know the cross, but, but do you know Jesus, he's in the wilderness for 40 days and, and then the devil shows up to tempt him. It's in Luke 3 and 4. And the enemy comes to tempt him and he does this and Jesus responds to every lie by saying, it is written. And, and, and if we we'll know what God's word says about the lies we're being overcome by. We don't realize that God has within his word the very tools to overcome it, the very tools to dismantle it. Jesus beat up the devil with the book of Deuteronomy, by the way. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, if maybe you've heard the expression, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Well, if we're trying to resist a spiritual battle with emotional responses... Oh, I, I should just spend the rest of the time on that. If I'm trying to win a spiritual battle with my emotions and my feelings, I'm going to lose. Your feelings are flaky, so are mine. So if, if you're waiting to feel like it, you're never going to overcome it. So, so the, God's word is my weapon that it puts in my hand a sword to confront every lie the enemy uses to dismantle my family, dismantle my life, to discourage, to cause us to quit, to say, we'll never make it, we'll never have enough. And then God's word says, my God shall supply all my needs. That, that I don't feel capable and qualified. And then God's word says, my, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so God's word isn't just meant to encourage me, it's meant to be a sword, that we fight with. It's also uh, another spiritual weapon is worship. And I, I want to just take a moment on this because maybe, you know, I, I, um, my wife's gotten into NASCAR because my son, my 13 year old is really into NASCAR. And so it's, it's, it's slowly creeping into my family. And, and her and my son will get super excited. Like they'll go, oh, that was amazing. Or, or they'll get really upset. Oh, why did that happen? And, and I, I go, I have no clue what's going on. Like, all I know is you turn left. <laughs> and, you know, my, my son does the 13-year-old stuff. He's like, well, Dad, stop it. You know, and, and so I'm like, I, I don't understand, you know, this and that. And I'm going through the rules. And, and because I don't fully understand the game, I can't react and respond the way they are. They're excited. They're jumping up and down. They're celebrating a win. And they're, they're, they're reacting to a loss. Why? Because they know the game. 
And worship is, is similar and that the reason we worship is because we know what God's done for us. We know who he is. He's great and he's awesome. We remember the Lord. It's not about, well, I just don't like that song. I just don't know all the words. And, and you know, I wish they would sing a slower song and I wish they'd sing a faster song and I wish it'd be, and, 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 and nobody else. You're all spiritual. You don't think like that. Uh, and we have those moments where we just think, well, that's just not my personality. But if you don't worship, you're, you're leaving a weapon in your arsenal to the side. Do you know the devil was the worship leader of, of heaven before he fell in pride and rebellion? That's interesting that the very thing, in fact, if you want to know the story of the Bible, the issue, the conflict is always about worship. The sin of the Old Testament was idolatry. It was all about what is being worshiped. All of us are created to be worshipers. Everybody worships. The issue isn't if we, it's what we. <laughs> and, and, and yet, I love this. David shows up, brings the ark, brings the people. They're celebrating that God's the ark is coming into the city of God, Jerusalem. And uh, as he's doing this, he's throwing a party and he's celebrating, he's dancing, he's worshiping, he's getting crazy because he's a warrior and he knows when to fight because worship isn't just for ladies, guys. David just, he, he goes nuts. The same guy who took Goliath's head was the same guy who said, I don't care. I'm gonna go radical for God. And he's worshiping and his wife, she's getting, she's getting incensed because she sees this king humble himself in worship. And she, she sends word to David and she goes, you just made a fool of yourself, David. And David's response is my favorite. It's one of my favorite responses anybody has to something like this in the Bible. David says, well, listen, I'm gonna actually get even more undignified than this because it was God who was with me. By the way, he married Saul's daughter, King Saul, and Saul's daughter was upset at him and, and incensed at him. And, and yet he says, you know, when your dad tried to kill me, because you think you got in-law problems. <laughs> when your dad tried to kill me, God was with me. Come on, church. Don't, don't ever judge somebody else's worship because listen, you don't know what God brought them through. You don't know where God delivered them from. You don't know what they're fighting through today because maybe today they're worshiping, not because they feel like it, but because they're trying to get a hold of God and they're bringing God into that situation. Psalm 22 says this, he inhabits the praise of Israel. He inhabits the praise of Israel. New King James says he is enthroned on the praises of his people. When you worship, something is enthroned and something else is dethroned. Fear is dethroned when he takes his place in your life. He inhabits. When you worship, you're creating a space in your situation, in your life, to invite God to be there to invite God to reign there. Worship is my weapon. Worship is your weapon. When we worship, something falls and God takes his rightful place in my life and in my situation. Can I just read this to you? I'm almost done. Second Chronicles 20 tells a great story where Israel is about to be overcome by an enemy army. And in fact, there's not just one enemy army. You know, there's three. And this is, a, this is gonna be an actual battle that's about to take place. And the king, his name is Jehoshaphat, which I'm sure is at the top of everybody's baby name list. And Jehoshaphat doesn't know what to do and he cries out to God and God gives a prophetic word through somebody and, and the word is that God's gonna deliver them. Just stand still and see the salvation of God. And they go, okay, 
Let's do it. And so they gather the army and they're preparing to to receive the enemy's onslaught. Three enemy nations have gathered together and, and, and are about ready to invade and attack and destroy the Israelites. But they have a word. Sometimes all you need is one word from God. And they position their troops. And here's what it says. I want you to read this, verse 21. If we can put this on the screen. Uh, Yeah, when he had consulted with the people, Jehoshaphat, the king, appointed those who should sing to the Lord. So if if I have an army, I'm gonna put the shields and I'm gonna put the spears and I'm gonna put the strongest troops at the front. Here's what Jehoshaphat does. He appoints those who should sing to the Lord. He puts the worship singers at the front. Sorry, guys. Uh, And their job is this, to praise the beauty of holiness as they went out. Some of us go, I don't know what worship's doing. I don't know what the point is of raising my hands. I don't know what the point is of singing out loud. Uh, Is that just a warm-up for a message? Is that just the beginning of church? Is that, no, no, no. Here's here's what they're doing. They went out, watch what it says, before the army. And they were saying, praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. That's all they sang. Well, well, it's on repeat. Why are you still singing the same chorus over and over and over? Maybe they're needing to sing it to remind themselves. Maybe they're singing it to remind the enemy that he's defeated. I, I don't know what the reason always is, but here's what I know. Your worship is a weapon. And as they began to praise, now when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, some of you think, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He's, he's a lamb, but he's also a lion. He also fights for you. The Lord will fight for you. He'll fight for your marriage. He'll fight for your family. He'll fight for you. And, and here's what they did. As they began to sing and they began to praise and they began to worship, the Lord set ambushes. <laughs> against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. These are three enemy nations who had come and they were defeated. They actually began to get into such confusion. It says in the next verse, they attacked each other because nothing confuses hell more when God's people worship, even when they don't feel like it. Even when things haven't changed yet and they're worshiping, even when there's still chaos around them and they're worshiping, even though when the world seems like it's gone to dark, uh, that, that you're still worshiping, that, that no matter what the situation, you're still worshiping. Don't worry about anybody else. You just get alone with Jesus and you start worshiping. Your worship is a weapon. It's a, worship, it's a weapon that confuses the enemy, confuses hell. And actually, if I could take it a step further, disarms the enemy. Number three, the last point is this, your grace for this. Jason, if you want to come up, your grace for this. And and here's what I mean by that. Paul one time prayed about a battle he was in. He actually writes that there was a messenger of Satan. In, In Greek, it's an angel of Satan. It's an enemy that's been sent to buffet him. And the picture of buffeting is like, like in a boxing ring, there's just somebody repeatedly hitting you with blows, one after another. And if you remember last week, the, the enemies around Nehemiah's city didn't just send one threat, they tried again and again and again. And some of us are discouraged because we thought we already overcame that thing. We thought we already got prayer for that lie. And yet we're still dealing with some stuff and we don't understand why. We thought it was over, but it just shows up its ugly head again and again. And we wonder what's going on. 
There are some battles where we stand still and see God's fight for us and we never see that enemy again, but there's also some things where God graces us in the midst of it. And Paul prayed, because every city that Paul would go to, it was a revival or a riot. And he's got just conflict all around him. And he, and he prayed, he says three times. Let's read this. NIV, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Therefore, in order to keep me uh, from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me uh, and, and, and to buffet in, in New King James. But here's what he says. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I, I know there's some stuff where you just go, God, it would be so much easier if I didn't have to fight through this. And I know that God brings us out of some battles. But he also brings us through other battles. And and, and here's what I want you to catch. He said to me, you know, if I call you back to mind at the beginning of the message, Judah said, the strength of labors is failing. It's too much garbage. That's that's what the believer said. That's that's the worship. That's the encouraged were discouraged. (laughs) Yeah, that's where you are today. And then the enemy said, because everybody's got an opinion, including the devil. <laughs> but here, Paul, hears what God has to say. And, and the Lord says to him this, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect or complete in weakness. So Paul then says, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna boast about my weaknesses. I'm gonna boast about the areas I need God. That's so counter to the way we think in the world. Like I'm gonna just put my best foot forward. And that's fine. But Paul says, I boast in the areas where I go, I need God. Because watch this, he says, so that Christ's power may rest on me. It's the areas where I can't on my own, but I go to God in prayer. And his grace equips me, empowers me to do what I couldn't do on my own. I I don't know if there's a fight you're in right now that you think, man, I I, I don't have what it takes. Without God's help, none of us do. But we're not left alone. Let's remember the Lord, great and awesome. He equips you for the fight. And you're graced for this. There's this expression we've used in church over the years. And it's not necessarily bad, it's just incomplete. We say new levels, new devils. I know a whole lot of people that don't do what God's called them to do because they're afraid of the enemy. (laughs) Don't let fear will always cause you to surrender ground you're called to. Always. It'll separate you from the very things you need in your life. You know what I think is better? I know there's new levels, new devils, but there's new levels, new grace. There's grace for every season. There's grace for being a parent. I I, I know those kids are messy and they don't always listen. I I, I know that spouse of yours is stubborn. It's quiet in here. You're, You're very wise not to say amen next to them. I know it looks tough. But your grace for this. Your grace for this. God gives us the grace we need for the gaps we're in. 
I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. I wanna pray with you today before we go. The Lord says to him, my grace is sufficient. Some battles he'll protect you from. I don't think we're gonna know until heaven all the battles he kept us from. We're like, God, you're not doing anything. You have no idea what I kept you out of. You had no idea all the crazy stuff you came up with that I saved you from. <laughs> I, I, I think we're gonna get to heaven and there's gonna be a, like a whole group of tired, exhausted angels. I don't know how that works theologically. They're like, man, you kept us busy. But he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient. It's more than enough for you. There's a fight you're called to. What, what, what gaps are there in your life right now? Gaps that allow discouragement, fear. Maybe it's a gap of being offended and unforgiveness and the enemy just uses that to twist things in your life. Wherever the gap is, it's time to, to fight. To not be afraid, but to remember the Lord who's great and awesome, whose grace is sufficient to face, to fight, to overcome. I ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And can we do this? If, if you're in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you have, but you've been far from God, do you know where we find the grace we need for every day? It comes out of relationship with Jesus. It comes out of walking with him and knowing him and experiencing his faithfulness. Paul prayed and he went to God and the Lord spoke to him because he had a relationship with the Lord. And that became the source of his strength, the source of the grace he needed to make it through. These weapons I'm talking about, the things we're called to build for God, I mentioned this last week, is what you're living for going to end up in heaven. There's a gap that only you can fill. You're called to build his kingdom in your life, in your family, in our community. That's not just church stuff. That's kingdom stuff. That's doing what you're created for. But it all starts out of relationship. And, and today, if you're in here and you say, you know what, I'll be honest, I don't know God like you're talking about. Maybe no religion, but you know Jesus. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, his only begotten son. Why? Because sin separated us from God. Our sin separates us from God. But Jesus died on the cross, took our sin and our shame. We have crosses on the walls in churches and we don't know what they mean. The cross was about a price that was paid. We wear necklaces of crosses, but we don't know that it was about a price. It's not just a symbol, but there's a price that was paid. Jesus paid it, and he did it for you. <laughs> he paid in full for my sin and yours to be fully forgiven so that you could have a relationship with God, so that you could know God, have a home in heaven and a future, a purpose right here in the world to fill the gaps. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it all starts there. And if you're in here right now and you say, Brian, I want to begin a relationship with God. It's very simple. And I'm, 
I'm going to have our prayer team come up in just a moment to pray for specific needs, but I'm not even going to ask you to come to the front. But I am going to ask you today, where's your relationship with God? If you don't have one, you can start one right now. It's as simple as a yes to Jesus. To invite him. We sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Is Jesus welcome here in your heart, in your life? You can, you can open up your life to him right now. And if that's you, say, Brian, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. Very simply, I want to lead you in this prayer. Before I do, if you want to be a part of that, not responding to me in a message, but responding to God, would you just lift your hands? Say, that's me, Brian. I, I need Jesus in my life. I need God in my life. Maybe today you need to rededicate your life to God. You need a new beginning. I'm going to ask you right now for everyone else if you say you know what I've got gaps in my wall (laughs) in my life and I need God's help I need God's grace I need God's God to equip me to see those gaps closed whatever they are they're going to look different for all of us but again with no one looking around say that's me Brian I have gaps and and I, I need God's help just lift your hand say that's me yeah Can I pray with you? Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for the men and women in this room that you've called to see lives restored, called to see gaps filled, families made whole, marriages rebuilt, addictions broken, fear stomped and crushed. God, there's gaps in the walls. We're honest about it. We say, God, I need you. And I pray for everyone in here that responded to that, that says, that's me. I need help with the gaps. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. God, I pray that today you'll show yourself great and awesome on their behalf. I thank you for grace for the fight, grace for the battle, grace for the need, that your grace is sufficient to overcome. And let's pick up our sword. And let's lift up his word and let's declare out of our mouth his worship and his praise that disarms hell in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask our prayer team, if you come to the front, if you're in here and you have a need today, you need healing in your body, you need freedom in area of your life, don't leave here without responding to God and letting us pray with you. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.